0: Father, uh, thank you uh, that you are Abba, Father. This is uh, a wonderful day to celebrate human fatherhood, but we uh, choose to use it to celebrate you, who is our great Heavenly Father. Uh, What a magnificent protector you are, provider. Uh, You've loved us, uh, each one, so very well, so very long. Uh, We just want to stop and say, thank you, Father, for treating us so kindly uh, because of the finished work of Christ. We love you and we thank you. I pray that your spirit would come. I am absolutely inadequate to communicate this material, and I pray that your spirit would take what is yours and teach it to my friends, my brothers and sisters tonight, please, uh, in a way that will not only uh, help us to understand, but will help transform us more and more day by day into the image of Jesus. That's what we want. And that's what we pray for tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, Just a word. Last week we talked about... um... No, we didn't. Never mind. Maybe that's the end of this week. Those who've crossed the river, remember we've been talking about the picture from Joshua and how that picture gets um, undergirded with theology from Romans. So those who've crossed the river, in quotes, have settled the answers to three questions to live in the promised land and then live in light of those answers. So the first question and answer is how does God see me, really? And that's what we talked about in Romans 5, and that is the foundation for 5, 6, 7, and 8. You will continue to go back to Romans 5 your entire Christian life. You're going to go back to Romans 5. You're going to go back to Romans 5. You're going to go back to Romans 5. And even in chapter 8, Paul goes back to Romans 5. This is so huge, being justified with all of its privileges, is what is already yours. You're not waiting for it. You don't have to do one more thing for it. It's already been done, and you have been placed there. Amazing, amazing truth. But we have to understand how God sees us as we deal with sin. So how does God see me? Really, Romans 5, as justified with all of those attendant privileges that God has given us. Chapter 6, then we start talking about, okay, how do I stop the downward slide? There's known sin in my life. I know not in your life, but there is in mine. How do I stop the downward slide of sin? And so we talked about, remember from Romans 5, you're not who you were. and You need to move away from the wall. And how did we do that? No, Remember what I'm supposed to know. What do I Know. Romans five, (laughs) right? What do I know? Romans five, I consider or reckon that this is more true than what I think, what I feel, or my past experiences, right? So I, I reckon that, and then what do I do? I yield in accordance with faith. I yield in that direction. So I, in chapter six, how do I stop the downhill slide I know, I remember who I am in Christ. I reckon it to be true cuz the Bible says it. And then I yield myself or whatever it is, I yield a dream I have or I yield whatever, I yield that up to God. I know it, I reckon it, and I yield it. So he's brought us in in Romans 6. He says, "Okay, here's how you stop the downhill slide." Romans 7, then he picks up with Okay, how do we go back up the other side? How do I pursue holiness? And it's as if Paul says to you and to me, I know what you're tempted to do right now. You're tempted to come up with a list of do's and don'ts. And you think if you'll do that, that will help you go up the other side. Wrong! <laughs> He says in chapter 7, do's and don'ts don't work. And that's why he he leaves us hanging at the end of 7 that, uh, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. He leaves us in chapter 7, ah, I'm, I'm willing, but I'm unable, and we're left in this place. Well, I want to I go up. I want to pursue holiness. What do I do? Do's and don'ts don't work. He's like, yeah, remember we talked about no, and reckon, and yield, and you start taking shortcuts, and shortcuts don't work with this list of do's and don'ts. It ain't going to work. Someone has been absent from the discussion. And that's the Holy Spirit. And so chapter 8, he's going to reintroduce us to the Holy Spirit, who is the key in this whole thing. So chapter 8 is, if chapter 7 is all about the flesh and self-effort, chapter 8 is all about the Spirit and what the Spirit does, because that's where victory will come. It's not going to come from over here in the flesh and self-effort. It's going to come from over here in the Spirit. Okay. So how do I pursue holiness? Keeping do's and don'ts don't work. You know that. So do I. Why? Well, here's what was true about me before. And then, remember, co-death, co-burial, co-resurrection with Christ. So here I am over on this side. I can never get back to the other side, never want to get back to the other side, because now I have a new owner, God. The ruler is grace rather than sin, particularly in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. I have a new family, no longer part of the old family. The power, sin exercised its authority and power over me as Adam's child, led me to commit sins, led me to spiritual death and separation from God. Power. I'm no longer under the authority and power of sin, but under grace in the spirit. You say, "I, I know that. Do you? Do you? What does this power in Christ, what does this do? It draws me to obedience, and it draws me toward Christ, righteousness, and holiness. There's a new power at work within me, one I didn't come up with, one that God implanted there through the person and the ongoing work of the presence of the Holy Spirit. All right, so I'm a new person, I got a new family, I'm on a new side of the wall, but I still got some problem, right? What did I bring with me? Adam's mind. I can't wait to be rid of it. So if it wasn't for Adam's mind, I'd go, yes! I'm on this side of the wall and I'm gonna keep moving away from the wall. But what happens? I'm over on this side of the wall, but I start thinking about something, right? And I start maybe going down a wrong road or whatever because I start thinking like Adam. So my problem is what I brought with me, so to speak, on the other, from the other side of the wall. And that's the mind of Adam. And I keep thinking about things the old way rather than the new way. What is the new way? No. Reckon. And then yield. That's not what Adam does. What does Adam do? If it feels good, do it. You deserve it. You can add other things on there. This is the old bill and the new bill. We're struggling. We're fighting. So, how do I live in the promised land? By continuing to come to terms with this. The flesh think self-help is a slave to sin and is incapable of obeying God ever ever don't think well this time will be an exception bill do you remember how peter describes sin or the evil one as a roaring lion And what is that lion seeking to do? What's it waiting for? An opportunity to do what? Devour me. That's what it's waiting for. Sin is very patient sometimes. And then it jumps me. Make no mistake, that lion that you think you have on a leash that's tame is not tame. It is not your friend, it is not your pet. It's only waiting for the right opportunity to maul you and devour you. That's what it does. It cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. The flesh is incapable of obeying God ever. In fact, the flesh under the influence of sin can only and will only produce death. You saw that twice, at least in Romans 8. Remember where he talked about things leading to death? They all go back to sin. Sin is not your friend. It will not give you life. It can only give you death. Surely then, if you're in chapter 7, the believer can never grow then. I long for what I'm unable to make happen. That's where Paul wants you to be at the end of chapter 7. Ah! I want this, but I can't make it happen. And Paul says, No! We've received new life and a new empowerment for living from the Holy Spirit. You cannot make it happen. That is a true statement. Go back to number one. You cannot bring holiness to pass. And the shortcuts that people use with do's and don'ts might have the appearance of holiness, but they don't have any substance. The only person who can produce holiness is the Holy Spirit. It's his first name, right? Holy. It's what he does. He can't produce anything else but holiness. It's who he is and it's what he does. Okay. Paul says, stop in Romans 7. You're trying to bring it to pass. You cannot do it. You need outside help. In the same way you needed outside help for salvation, right? You had to trust in someone outside of you to be saved. Guess what? You are not now equipped to live the Christian life by yourself. You still need outside help. To make progress. We have received new life and new empowerment for living from the Holy Spirit. So chapter 8. He started us off in chapter 5. He talks to us about justification. I hope in looking back you're going, oh, this is beginning to make a little more sense. He, start, he builds the foundation right here. If you don't get the fact that you're justified, Paul is writing, you can't get the rest of this. You're going to get stuck. Because you're gonna drop back into the bookkeeping mentality and think, oh, God's mad at me again, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. No! Romans 5, you've been justified. You've moved to the other side of the wall. You're not who you were. So he starts with chapter 5, chapter 6, 7, and 8. This is a done deal in the past. The penalty has been paid. We have a new position. Christ died for us, new position, new standing, new privileges. 6, 7, and 8, he says, now let me talk to you about ongoing holiness. How do we stop the downhill slide? How do we go up? Don't do do's and don'ts. He says the power's been broken. We died with Christ to sin. We died to the law. And now we have to walk in the Spirit because we are transformed by the Spirit, not by self-effort. Chapter 8, big idea for tonight. Walk in step with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. That's a real easy sentence to write on a slide. It's very difficult to do as a habit in your life. Walk in step with the Spirit. Chapter 8 is about the Holy Spirit's ministry. He's hardly been mentioned to this point in 5, 6, and 7. Now chapter 8, do, 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 do. he's got like a big S, Superman on his, on his outfit, you know, he just he flies in, he's like, here I am, I'm the guy, <laughs> and Paul says, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's ministry, the justified, he's moving on from chapter 5, he's talking about the justified, The justified have the privilege and obligation. What? Don't miss these words. Is there any neutral in the Christian life? Really? (laughs) I I know. No, 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 Bill, of course not. (laughs) Really? No, the answer is no. But if you followed me around for a month or a year, and I followed you around for a month or a year, ever heard the phrase, talk is cheap? You might say to me, hey, Bill, what's going on? I thought you said there was no neutral. Charles Spurgeon, my favorite guy, Charles Spurgeon says, if we're not climbing up the dunghill, we're sliding back down. <laughs> Think about it. It'll, tonight you're going to wake up and laugh cuz it's pretty funny. The justified have the privilege and obligation. You say, "Well, what is it? What do you mean obligation?" Chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful, sinful nature urges you to do. What is your obligation? Your obligation is to pursue Christ and holiness. That is your obligation. It's not optional. It is not optional. It's not when circumstances are good. It is all the time, every day, whether you want to or not, whether you feel like it or not, whether the circumstances are, you know, the winds are blowing with you or the winds are blowing against you. This is your obligation to become more like Christ, it's a wonderful, marvelous obligation. But make no, uh, uh, well, I don't know what I was going to say. I just forgot about that. Uh, we have an obligation to walk in step with the Spirit. He tells us in the first four verses why, because of what God has done for them, done for the justified. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're at the end of chapter 7, and you're a person who's been trying to do the do's and don'ts, what do you feel? Condemnation. Why? Because you haven't measured up. Because you haven't done it right. Because you've messed up again and again and again and again, perhaps. What do you feel? Condemnation. Why do you feel that? Bookkeeping. That's Adam at work in your brain. Hey, Bill, tallied them up today. Guess what? <laughs> you're on the negative end again. You know, if you had the scales, you not looking good for you today, Bill. Condemnation. What does God say to you? What does he say to me? So, Bill, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, does it? How can there be no condemnation? Romans 5. You've been justified. You've been put on the other side of the wall. You're no longer who you were. And God is not what, exactly what you think he is. Remember, he's a wonderful father, but he's not a super earthly father. He is an unbelievably different and completely other father. One like you and I have never had. We have no analog in our life to this person. And he says, now that you're in my family room, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. No condemnation for you. Guess who's making you feel condemned? Oh, that's right, it's your friend the lion. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And he goes on and he talks about the law. of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins, meaning we're dead. The law doesn't apply anymore where we're dead. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. How has the law been fulfilled in you and in me? Because we are in Christ. And God counts us as in Christ. Who fulfilled the law perfectly? Jesus. Some people say, Man, I can't wait to get to heaven. You know, I'll take my chances with God and this whole Jesus thing. I'll just explain to Him this and this and this. And I go, Phew. You know, so whatever's got to be paid, you can take your chances and pay it yourself, or Jesus has paid it for you, and you can just take that. Which one do you want? I'm going, this is a no-brainer, right? I want what Jesus has done. Why take my chances? You don't have to take any more chances. It's, it's, um, yeah, okay, The justified have the privilege and obligation to walk in step with the Spirit because of what God has done for them. There is no condemnation from God in our struggle. If that doesn't get an amen and a hallelujah, I don't know what will. There is new empowerment through His Holy Spirit. He wants to, He can, He will bring victory into your Christian walk. He already has. And some of you say, huh, prove it. We did last week. Many of you say, you know, this is the second time I've taken this class. Some of you third. Some of you fourth. Some of might even have a fifth timer in here. I can't remember. And they say, these notes change every year. The presentation changes every year. It is so completely different every time I go through this. And I say, Do you keep your notes from the last time we went through this? Well, yes, look at them. I might change a word or two, I might change a sentence or two, but they're the same. You know what's happening? You are changing. And you're listening to new things, and they're hitting you differently because you are in a different place. Not because uh, I've changed the presentation. I'm like a one-trick pony. I don't know very many stories. I don't know very many Bible verses. I just give you what I got, and the Spirit of God takes it, and he's changing you. All right. No more bondage to the law. We're freed from it as a way of acceptance. This is the do's and don'ts. But we're obligated to keep it as a way of holiness. Don't I want to keep the law? Is that not part of what the Spirit is drawing me toward? And I don't have to keep it in the letter like I used to in the Old Testament, but I have to keep it in the Spirit. Why would I want to put another God before my God? Why would I want to do that? I don't want to. In the Old Testament, don't do that. Well, you know, the fact that you tell me to not do it makes me want to do it. (laughs) That's sin at work, taking the law that's good and twisting it. But what do I want now? I don't want any rivals for my daddy. So the Spirit of God is leading me to put that law into place in my own life. I hope that makes sense. And there's new progress in holiness as we follow the Spirit. Not as we follow our own flesh, but as we follow the Spirit, right? Because the sinful nature, uh, no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. There's new progress in holiness as we follow the Spirit. All right. So, justified, have the privilege and obligation to walk in step with the Spirit because of what God has done for them. Second, Paul goes on. The spirit subdues or overcomes the flesh. The flesh, think of it as the root of a tree, the flesh will always produce death. That's what it does. That's who it is and what it does. Illustration. If you have an apple tree, you could fool me For a season, if you taped oranges to that tree. But what is that tree going to produce? Apples. Why? Because whatever the root tells it to do is what the fruit that comes out, right? It's Paul's point. You got two roots going on in you, in a sense. There's the root of the flesh. What is the flesh going to produce? Death. The fruit it's going to produce is death. It cannot produce anything else. You can't baptize it. You can't reform it. You can't change it. It's going to produce death. That's what it does. Do not be deceived. <laughs> but the Spirit will always produce life. He can't do anything else. He can only produce life. Life and holiness because that's who he is and what he does. As goes the root, so comes the fruit. Which root is going to produce fruit in your life? And you say, well, I don't know. Okay. And then remember what Jesus says. This is so key. It's like he knows what he's talking about. What is... Jesus tell us his followers to do with respect to fruit. John 15. Go and bear bear much fruit. Do you understand the difference between producing fruit and bearing fruit? Who produces the fruit? The root Who bears the fruit that the root has produced? You and me. All all I am is the branch. (laughs) The root is producing the fruit through the branch. I'm not producing any fruit. That's not my job. My job is to bear the fruit the root is producing. Does that make sense to you? Oh, my gosh, that's another amen, hallelujah. The Lord is the one who is producing the fruit. Does it come from the outside in or the inside out? Inside out. The Spirit will use his resurrection power to enable us to bear the fruit of life From the inside out as we fix our mind on things that please him. The spirit is the one who produces the fruit. Sometimes you and I get frustrated because we're not producing the fruit. Guess what? What is that That tattoo guy? You know that commercial? And the guy says, you know, so you've done like a million of these tattoos before and this is like the best one or something. And the guy goes... You know, stay in your lane, bro. Remember that commercial? Really? You need some coffee? Come on, that was funny. Stay in your lane, bro. we got to stay in our lane. My lane is not to produce the fruit. His lane is to produce the fruit. My lane is to bear the fruit that he produces. Okay? Huge difference. What happens if I don't want to bear the fruit of life? I will bear the fruit of death because one of these two roots is going to produce fruit in my life. Okay. The justified have the privilege and obligation to walk in step with the Spirit because of what God has done for them. The Spirit is the one who subdues or overcomes the flesh. Paul goes on then, starting in verse 15, To remind them uh, that they are God's. He says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. How how can he say that? Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've not been given uh, that slavery spirit. What have you been given? Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. What do heirs have? An inheritance. Why are we talking about living in the promised land? Because that was their inheritance. Mm. What's your inheritance? Mm. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And then he goes on and starts a new new train of thought. He reminds the justified that they are gods. And they no longer have a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship. There's no longer reward for deeds done. There are gifts Remember, we talked about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's wages on the other side of the fence. There's gifts on our side of the fence. He wants to give us gifts. What? He's not going to condemn us? He doesn't want us to think like Adam, like slaves anymore? And he gives us gifts. Unbelievable who he is. He goes on in then 18 through 25, and he says, and... The Holy Spirit guarantees their inheritance. And he walks on down this long road with creation and that we're waiting for the the final um, consummation of all these things. And then in 26, he starts off and he says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, so even if we have to suffer, guess who's right there with us? The Holy Spirit. And what does he do? Well, he helps us pray. Uh, He also reminds us that God causes everything to work together for good for those who who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having, having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Remember we talked about the tenses of these verbs. These are all past perfect, action done in past time that has continuing results to the present. How does God see you right now as a son or daughter who's in the process of sharing Christ's glory? Father! <laughs> I mean, this is great reading. The Spirit, what is the Spirit doing? He eliminates any chance of separation, right? And then Paul's got this great thing in the end, starting in 35. Oh, well, gosh, we've got to read 31. Hold on. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Oh, well, there is someone who's against you. Right? And he's left his root in you. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? If he's already given us the very best he has, won't he give us everything else? Yes. Answer, Yes. Who dares accuse us? Who is the accuser of the brethren? The evil one. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing, justified us with himself. What is the accuser of the brethren brethren doing? Lord God, did you see what Bill did yesterday? I did. (laughs) What do you think of that? What do you think of your son? I think he's a work in process, and I love him, and keep your hands off him. He's mine. And I've already accepted him, and I'm going to share my glory with him. Leave me alone. Can you imagine this? So, who's going to accuse us? No one. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us, as if his own sacrifice and his own blood wasn't enough to get us there. He's sitting at daddy's right hand, pleading for us. Hebrews 7.25, pleading with the Father constantly, without ceasing for you and for me keeping us firmly in his grip. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No! Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No! Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Justified. How do you stop the downhill slide? No. Reckon. Yield. Don't take shortcuts. Romans 7, you're going to start making do and don't lists. They're not going to work for you. What's going to work? The Spirit. The Spirit is, it's who he is and it's what he does. He makes things holy because that's who he is and what he does. Okay, Now, what you want what I want is Paul to lay out step one, step two, step three. It's coming. The Holy Spirit's ministry. I want you to, the Holy Spirit's job is to shine a very bright light on Jesus. That's his job. Whatever he does, it's so that Jesus is further exalted or lifted up. He doesn't do it for himself. He does it for Jesus. When you are changed, he gives you some victory over some sin. One day, two days, three days, the Holy Spirit is gone. And I'm happy to be the means, but there's the man. The Holy Spirit's job is to lift up Christ. Everything points back to Jesus. God has done an amazing thing, and the Spirit has come. Remember, he's our the down payment of our, right, from Ephesians. I know that's not Romans, but you're tracking with me. What, what is the Holy Spirit? He is the down payment of our inheritance. The down payment. The Holy Spirit is part of our inheritance for living in the promised land. But if we don't walk in step with them, uh, it's like you got this giant deposit <laughs> that you just look at through a window every once in a while. You go, isn't that a beautiful deposit? What a wonderful inheritance must be ahead for me. Gosh, this is sure beautiful. <laughs> Do you want your inheritance? You go, well, maybe I've only got a down payment. Maybe you do. Do you want your down payment? (laughs) It's yours. He gave it to you to use. The Spirit is the one who subdues and overcomes the flesh. He's the only one who can. Not only that, He reminds us that we are God's, He guarantees our inheritance. In Ephesians, He's the seal. He's sealed us, it says, for the day of redemption. You know what a seal is, right? The wax seal. Take the wax, you put it on the envelope, and there's a, usually a little wooden stick, and the, the king had a ring or a stick, and he'd put his insignia in the wax seal. And that meant it was sealed up by the king, and you don't open this thing under penalty of, you know, whatever. That's what the Spirit has done. The Spirit has said, I've sealed you up. So God the Father opens this. You're safe, you're sealed, you're His, and I'm here to help. I'm your down payment, baby. You want it? He guarantees our inheritance, and He says He eliminates, and Paul says He eliminates any chance of separation that we have from God. If He is for us, Who can be against us? Only ourselves. Oh, sorry. Am I meddling now? God has already determined. Remember we talked about this. God sees you as already glorified with him. That's how he sees you. This package deal called salvation He has already seen to it that you've come this far. He's sealed you up and said, I will finish what I have started. And he will make it happen. That's not me making this up. That's what Paul is telling us the Spirit of God is doing. Why? So that when we get there, we can say, thank you, Holy Spirit. But Lord Jesus, thank you. This is all because of you. And the Spirit is going, yeah, come on. Say it again. Say it again. It's about Him. God has already determined that He will finish what He started in us. Amazing. Guess what we're trying to do? Work too hard. Huh? What? You're a crazy person true enough walking in step with the spirit how do we do this it's like a partnership partnership we have to do it from the inside out not from the outside in therefore who's it going to start with this is easy this is low-hanging fruit holy spirit okay it's from the inside out not from the outside in I have never had the power to change my life and still don't, even as a follower of Christ. You do not have the power. I know I've said this over and over, and you're like, move on. You've got to get justification, chapter 5, and you've got to get this Adam voice in your head, and it's in mine too. Just work harder, Bill. Work harder. Bear down. Discipline. That's not the way forward. You're you're hurting yourself. You're shooting yourself in the foot. You never have had the power to change your life, and you still don't, even as a follower of Christ. The only one who has the power to change me from the inside out, to bring lasting change to my heart, is the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what you know doesn't work. Your flesh, self-effort, do's and don'ts, They don't work. They might have the appearance of working for a while, but guess what happens? You get tired of doing them, don't you? And you stop. And then what do you feel? Condemnation, because you stopped. Where are you? You're right back in Adam's bookkeeping lounge. (laughs) And you're looking at all the ledgers going, I didn't measure up today. Oh, I got one more demerit than I have merit today. Who? tomorrow I'm going to do better. I'm going to work harder. Stop it. Chapter 7, Paul had it, uh, God had it written to remind us what doesn't work. What does work? His spirit. Now, what I'm going to walk through is what Ryan is going to walk through in much greater and better detail next week. But I want to, to set the stage for you, cover it a little bit, um, because then hopefully next week it will be the second time you've seen it, and you'll go, okay, I get it a little bit better than the first time. So I'm here to expose you to some things and then Ryan's going to take that and he's going to help flesh, put some, put some, what do you call it, put rubber on the road or soles to the shoes or whatever he's going to do. Ryan's going to do it and he's going to do a great job. What works? His Holy Spirit. Here's the picture to put into your brain. There are two trees. Remember we talked about two trees. There are two roots. There's the bad root See the heart with the minus sign? And then there's the good root, the heart with the plus sign. There's trees that are each bearing fruit. The tree on the left, okay, this tree, ooh, that looks like good fruit. It is because it's coming from a good root. What is the fruit on this ugly tree? Thorns, okay? So both are producing fruit from the root, The cross is here in the middle. This is going to start here, and we're going to go around this way. And you're going to see the beginnings of a, this is not exactly a step-by-step, but it's the beginnings of kind of a step-by-step, sort of like driving a car. Remember, we talked about driving a car. lot to it. This is the beginning of, this is kind of like driver's ed. You're sitting down in the simulator, and you're going, what am I doing? That's okay. We're all there. Here's what it does. There are two roots, and each one produces its own fruit. Here's some truth. You should write this down. We choose what we desire most. We choose what we desire most. I hate that. I'm to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. What does that mean? The desires from the scripture have to begin to overtake the other desires. How does that happen? Do the word. So I daily need to fertilize. I need to fertilize these roots. What do I need to do to this root? Starve it. I need to keep fertilizing this one, and I need to let this one just keep shriveling and shriveling and shriveling. That will not happen overnight. I know you know that. This will not happen overnight. This will be a lifelong process till Jesus comes for all of us. You're going to fix your mind on your new identity in Christ. And you're going to fill your mind with the truth of who Jesus is and how he responded in a situation or how you have discovered in the word that God says, this is how I want you to respond. Fix and fill, fix and fill. You're going to fix your mind on Jesus. Now, is that, you're just going to do that for five minutes a day? No. No. You've got to get into a habit of fixing your mind on Jesus. Philippians 4.8. Anyone know what that one is? A little longer one. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right. If anything is pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. On these things, meditator, on these things, let your mind dwell. You've got to begin reviewing, what am I thinking about during the day? And how do I get Jesus more into that, just that daily, the warp and woof of your life, what you're thinking about? Fix your mind on Jesus and on your identity in Jesus, Romans chapter 5. Then fill your mind with the truth of the word. Fix and fill. Why? Why? Because one day, the hot sun of circumstances is going to beat down on you. Now, these circumstances could be good things, blessings. That could be circumstances. The writer of the Proverbs, it's probably Solomon in this particular proverb, writes that praise is the test of a man. You want to know how a man responds? Praise him. You'll find out who's, what's really going on in there. Oh, gee. <laughs> wow. So even sin can use blessings to mess me up. But usually the circumstances that come are difficulties or temptations. They can be blessings, but they're also difficulties and temptations. All right. The heat starts coming on you. Now, when you look at the tree on the right, the heart can be rooted in the spirit or in the flesh. Your mind can be fixed on one of these two things. Our real agendas, desires, hopes, and sources of joy and objects of worship are revealed under the heat. Revealed under the heat. And the thorns are how we react in the flesh. For instance, here's just three. When I'm blocked from something I want, okay, so here's the, the sun is out, it's beating down on me. And there's something I'm I want and I'm blocked from having it, what do I do? I get angry. When something I want is threatened, I get anxious. When something I want is taken away, I might get depressed. Those are the thorns that are born out of here because what I desire most shows up in the fruit. Uh oh, right? Uh oh, I responded in anger again. What do I have to remember? If I can't go to God as a saint, I can go to him as a sinner again. And there is therefore now no condemnation for me. Therefore, I can sit on the couch and I can tell daddy what he already knows I just did again. And there is no condemnation. And he says, Bill, don't start counting this up. I'm not counting it. Neither should you. Let's deal with it. But I'm not counting it up or counting it against you. What do we have to do? We have to go back to, Daddy, I probably tried to use the flesh here somehow to help myself or to try to grow in holiness here. Probably that's not going to work, or it's not going to work repeatedly anyway. And he reminds me, did you talk to the Holy Spirit? Nope, nope, I forgot to do that. (laughs) Okay, well, let's begin there because the Spirit will cleanse you, he'll empower you, I've given him to you to bring change about in your life. Remember, Bill, you're no longer who you were. You're not all you will be. But you are no longer who you were. And my spirit can help you move away from the wall. But you got to use him, not yourself. Okay, Daddy, thanks. Great reminder. Thank you. So you go back to the cross. You go back to, guess what? Just blew it again. How is the only way I can go sit down on the couch and talk to Daddy straight up about this? Because I'm secure and not fearful in my relationship to him. What happens if I start bookkeeping? I start hiding. And I'm not going there. Because I don't want him to whack me. Because that's what I think he's going to do. He's going to whack me for sinning again. Wait. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. So I go back to the couch. I sit down again. And I start all over. But I go back to what the Lord has done, his finished work, and I remind myself of Romans 5. It's the Spirit who's going to do the good work. Then I go and I say, okay, what is the good fruit that you would have desired be produced in this particular situation? That's why you have to know the word again. Okay? So, for instance, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. We've been talking about anger for the past few weeks. You know, in your anger, do not sin. Hmm. Oh, gee. Okay. Well, I got angry, and perhaps I went a little too far, and I sinned. What should I have done? Uh, I should have, uh, you know, left five minutes early, so I wouldn't have encountered that guy. Well, Okay could be one, one, you're kind of avoiding it, Bill, but that would be one possible answer. Okay, what should you do? I should remember to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven me. Bill, do I forgive with limits or without limits? Uh, That is, I recall, you forgive without limits. Hmm. Okay. Um, your sins cost my son his life. Was it that bad? Mm. No, no, daddy, (laughs) it wasn't. What should the response have been? Um, Compassion and forgiveness. Okay, what are you going to do? I need to remember to ask the Spirit of God that when a situation shows up again like that, I need to remember, somehow, throw up an arrow prayer. I need compassion. I need forgiveness. And where does the faith come in? I'm going to trust that he's going to do what he says he do, he's going to do more than what I think, more than what I feel, and more than my past experiences in this have been. I'm going to cling to this. And he's going to transform me. Will it happen in total in one in one event? No. <laughs> no, it won't. But the next time it happens, you may find that you got angry and it took three seconds instead of one. Now, wait a minute. You, I know you know I'm making a little bit of funny about that, but that's the beginning of change. What if it's three seconds instead of one? And what if instead of pulling up next to that person to teach them a lesson, you're able to say, Daddy, I pray for that person. I, I don't maybe they didn't mean to do that. Maybe I don't understand the circumstances or situations going on in their car. You know, maybe they're on their way to the hospital right now. How do I know? If you have a little bit more compassion, if you have a little bit more forgiveness, where's that coming from? It's not coming from the flesh. And so you should say, Thank you. Thank you, Spirit of God. That two seconds of difference, thank you for working. I'd like to see it gone entirely but thank you does that make any sense to you don't go if i'm still feeling it at all no this is a long process some things god may give you victory i i know people and there might even be one or two things that god has given me his victory that was basically like cold turkey i mean it's there and it's gone but that's not the vast majority the vast majority is, I got angry at one second, and then the next time it was three seconds, and then the next time it might have been five seconds, and then I might have gone back to one second, and then, okay? It's just a process. Celebrate what God is doing inside, because the change He's bringing about is permanent change, and it's true change. And who gets the credit for it? Not you, <laughs> He does. Yay! So you begin to yield to the Spirit of God who does have resurrection life and power and he is using that within you to bring about Christ's likeness. That's what he wants to do. That's who he is and what he does. You have to yield and trust him. Love this quote. We're just about done. The Christian life, the life of a justified believer, is seen as being essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live today, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Every day is a walk of faith. Not just a decision of faith one time, but a walk of faith every day. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Daily and intentionally fertilize the roots Fix your mind on the truth and fill your mind with the truth. You know what that is and what that means in your particular life. But daily and intentionally fertilize the roots. When heat comes into your life, confess how you want to respond or did respond. And remember, there's no condemnation for this, only God's forgiveness and cleansing. Declare again your dependence on him to respond in truth and love. Then in faith, respond according to his truth, his love, his compassion, his grace, etc. Both of these are what it means to walk in the Spirit. Those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. How does God see me, really? Romans 5, as justified with all its attendant privileges. How do I overcome deliberate sin? Remember, you are no longer who you were and reckon it so. How do I pursue holiness? Walk in step with the Spirit every day. I'm excited for Ryan to come next week. This is kind of the conceptual part. Ryan's going to get it to the place where you say, I get what he's talking about. Our language might be a little bit different, not much, but you'll get it. And you're going to love listening to Ryan help with very, very specific concrete situations. We've kind of done the concepts this week. Next week, he's going to get down into the real concrete, clear, daily stuff. You're going to be glad you came next week. So next week, read Romans 8 again. Go ahead, splurge. Read it twice. (laughs) It's good stuff. Read Romans 8 again. Father, thank you for your amazing plan. Thank you that you are amazing to come up with such a plan. No one could have thought of this but you. And we are the the undeserving, yet now totally changed and different recipients of your grace. We love you, we thank you, and we pray you would continue to take these truths, sink them deeply into our minds and into our spirits, and transform us from the inside out. Help us not to become complacent, not to get bored, not to say, well, I guess this is just all there is. Remind us that we have a long way to go to become more and more like our beloved Savior, who was perfect in every way. Thank you for Him. Thank you for what you have done for us and what you are doing in us every day. And we thank you this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen.